Let's turn uh, in God's word together to Exodus chapter 20. In your pew Bible, you'll find this starting at page 61. Exodus chapter 20. We have been walking our way through these ten words or commandments of God that he's given specifically to his people in defining for us what it means to live in his kingdom as Israel prepares to go into the promised land and for us as we seek to be his ambassadors wherever he places us throughout the globe. So Exodus chapter 20, I'll read for us verses 1 to 21. Hear now God's holy, inerrant word. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid. And they trembled, and they stood far off, and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that you may, the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself, that you have not only spoken to us as your people through your prophets, but you have also spoken directly. That you have been very clear that you alone are the one to rescue your people and that we cannot save ourselves. And then you have also been equally clear on what you expect of us. Those who have been saved, those who are redeemed, those who have been adopted in your family, that you have been very clear as to how we are to live now. 
in the joy of our salvation. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in us powerfully, changing us, transforming us, putting to death the sin that we coddle and keep. Help us instead to put that sin to death, to live in the power of your spirit as becomes your holy people. For we ask all of this, Lord Christ, in your resurrected name. Amen. We're looking particularly this morning at verse 14. We read the whole of the context, but let me read again this one verse that we're looking at this morning. Exodus 20, chapter, or verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. It's very plain in what God says. And, and yet sometimes we, we have a difficulty understanding what he says. Remember the, the child who, hearing this commandment and the other nine commandments in Sunday school, said, well, I don't know about the others, but this one has adult in it, so that, that doesn't apply to me. Right? Maybe you've, you've kind of thought the same thing. I've, I've found in, in ministry with college students, this, is, this has got to be the most popular thing in the whole scripture. Maybe not. And so a lot of times I get asked, Pastor, why do you spend so much time, so much energy talking about sex? Like, do you have a sex hang-up or something? What's, what? and, and a lot of our neighbors, that's, that's what they think. It's like, what? And yet, when you look at it from the Bible, sex makes God's top ten. Of, of all the things that he's going to emphasize of what it means for us to live as his people, sex is in this top ten list. Or perhaps we might need to listen again to Martin Luther, the German reformer, who I believe said something, and I'm paraphrasing, but he, he said, if we get every part of the gospel right except the pernicious sin that our particular time and place misses, then we've been faithless to the whole of the gospel. And our culture is sex-crazed. It's everywhere. And so it's very important for us as God's people not only to live chaste lives, but to understand God's view of sex and for us to practice that but also to cultivate it to nurture that and so we're going to look particularly as we've seen in westminster confession uh larger catechism you know all of these commandments are so broad i mean they just cover so much and let me encourage you to continue the practice, or if you haven't started it yet, you can still jump on with the Taking Gathered Worship Home to, to look at these things and, and to see that for every commandment, there are things that God is requiring. This is what God requires of us, that we would be sexually pure, as well as things that he prohibits. He prohibits our misuse of sex. 
because he says it's his gift to us. And so we don't have the right to use it any which way that we want. So in your notes, you'll find these three points. First, that God has given us marriage as a good gift. Second, that God has established marriage, it, as the sole context for sexual intimacy. And third, that Christ has redeemed us from our whoredom, our horrific misuse of his good gift of sex and marriage. So let's look at each one of these in turn. First, that God has given us marriage as a good gift. And this, I think, is one of the things that, that people are trying to express when they get frustrated with, with the church talking about sex in that so often, unfortunately, the emphasis is on all the negative. It's on all the prohibition side of things and not really looking at what God requires or what God has gifted us to, to have in marriage and sex. And, and to a large measure, they're right. Because not only on this commandment, but every one of these commandments, the church has failed. The church has gotten it wrong. The, the church has at times preached these things poorly and lived them even worse. And so let me just say that you may be here this morning and you're single. And you say, okay, another thing about marriage and say, could we, could we just not? Or maybe you're widowed. Right? I, I remember my sweet Nana that we've just prayed about. Uh, one, one of the times uh, that she was coming to church uh, with us and I had preached on this, and, and she was like, oh, pff, honey, I'm widowed. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't matter anymore. It's like, well, no, it, it still does. And so for us to understand this rightly, what is it that God has given us? What, what is this gift? What, you know, what what does the scripture actually say? And, and for a lot of folks who've never heard the positive side, it's startling that God has given us an entire book in the scripture on, on marital love, on marital sex. The, the Song of Solomon is, is an entire book delighting in, singing the praises of, rejoicing in the wonder of sex, that it's God's idea. Listen for just a moment to how God himself talks about sex. This is from Proverbs chapter 5. And it's, it's metaphorical or symbolic language, but I think you'll, you'll get the drift. It says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing waters from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. That, that's what you think of God's view about sex, right? You, you think that God is, is the one telling us, be intoxicated always in her love. Yeah, oh yeah. We heard a sermon about that just, just the other day, right? No, that, that's not usually how we think of God. But, but sex is God's idea. I mean, he could, have, he could have designed reproduction with a whole lot less mess and a whole lot less difficulty. 
But the God who has painted every flower, every bit of the wonder of fall color, the incredibleness of last night's moon, has designed sex as something, yes, to provide for reproduction, but also for the enjoyment, for the encouragement, for the comfort of a husband and wife to enjoy together. And so, particularly in a time and a culture where sex is everywhere, it's so critical for us to understand God's design. So we might look at places like 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And there, God talks about sexuality as, as this gift, and he also talks about our bodies. Did you hear that earlier? We, we read um, in, the, in the scripture passage, which was that 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Sorry, it's been so crazy. I had to actually look and make sure that I was saying what was actually there. But... But in 1 Corinthians, it uses this language that may have made some of you even here cringe, right? When, when God says, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Close the book. That, that's all I need, right? No, what, what's the rest, right? He, he says that is true, but that comes right after the husband should give his wife her conjugal rights. And then is followed by, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. See, again, this has been misused, misapplied, used as a two-by-four to beat people up with, rather than the wonder of the gift that it is. Your body doesn't belong to you. Your body doesn't belong to you. And that's, that should be a reason for us to greatly rejoice. First and foremost, our body doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the Lord, first and foremost. It's his. How dare we use the bodies that he has given us to defy him? He says, it's mine. And that in marriage, as God's good gift, God unites two into one. And so there shouldn't be, in a, in a biblical marriage, any of this, well, that's mine, and this is yours. doesn't exist. You belong to one another. You are not your own. And even more so, if you are a follower of Jesus, he says, you've been bought with a price. You are doubly the Lord's. You're the Lord's because he created you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you are his because he's died for you. And so we need to understand this whole idea of my body as, as my own domain. And, 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 and those who say, oh, well, you've got to have, you have acceptance. You've got to have you know, permission. Right? And, there, and that, that's a huge thing right now for good reason because people are raping other people and claiming for theirs what is not theirs. But to understand that the world's counter to that is as long as both agree, 
As long as you have consent, you're good. There are all kinds of classes in school, right, of walking through what consent means. And uh, please hear me. Those are important things as far as they go, but the problem is, is that they go too far. Yes, it, it should be not even something that you need to think about, that, that you've got to have consent from the person you're having sex with. But you're not the boss of you, and they're not the boss of them. And just because you have consent does not make sex okay. And again, this is not because the Bible is prudish. Remember? Be intoxicated always in her love. God not only dreamed up and designed sex, but, but he actually thinks it's worthy of poetry. It's like, yes, that's wonderful. And, and this is often difficult for Christian couples in premarital counseling in terms of talking about sex and how, you know, there's so much that's like sex. What, what's the Christian response? No. Right? Just say no, right? But the problem is, is you go from no to yes, you know, in, in your honeymoon. And, and you know, that can, that can be a little bit of, of whiplash. Again, we need to teach our children and ourselves not just that we need to say no if it's not our husband or wife. But why? And, and what it is that's the good gift. That, that we ought to be thinking about and giving God praise for in all of these things. God is the only one with the authority as both designer and creator to regulate how sex is enjoyed. He's the one who gives us the spouse with which to enjoy it or does not. And we need to recognize that singleness is also a gift of the Lord. And that it needs to not be, you know, like those awkward Christmases when, when the kids are looking at comparing gifts. Well, why'd they get that? And what? No, we ought to rejoice in brothers and sisters receiving the gifts that they've received from God and us being grateful for the gifts that we've received from God. And so, as we see with, with all of these commandments, there's both the prohibition, what we're not supposed to do, and the requirement of what we are supposed to do. That God is the one who sets the parameters. And not only is he given sex as a good gift and marriage as the context to enjoy it, he's also established marriage as the sole and only context for sexual intimacy. I think one of the most powerful word pictures that I ever heard on this was a wise elder who sat with a couple struggling with these issues and they had you know the good Vermont wood stove uh, in in a particularly you know cold fall or, or winter day and the and the the stove had this wonderful fire blazing uh, away in there and it's like oh that that fire is amazing that's just great I mean the the fire is is practical, it provides heat, right? But it's also beautiful. It's, it, have you ever just sat alone in a dark room with the, with the fire going, and the, the, the light bouncing off all the, all the, it's just beautiful. Now that same fire that is good 
and beautiful. I mean, you can even cook on it. It's, there are all kinds of things that you can do and benefit from. But if you take that same good fire and open the wood stove door and take the tongs out and grab one of those burning logs and throw it on the couch, same fire, right? Look how good and beautiful and useful that is. Not anymore. That'll burn the house down. God has given us this wonder of sex to be enjoyed within the bounds that he has set. And, it, and there it is a blessing. But anywhere and everywhere else, it is destructive. This has always been God's warning. Sin will destroy you. And on things that we like, his rules on, we go, yes, preach it. That's, that's right. But on the ones that we don't, well, wait, wait a minute. That's, that's a little bit harsh. No, it's the same God who's always good, who's protecting us from the ravages of sin. God has uniquely established marriage as not only a place for sexual intimacy, but as a picture of God's relationship with his church. Again and again, God uses the imagery of marriage and the exclusivity that is to be enjoyed within marriage to mirror the the first part of the law that we looked at in terms of his exclusivity with us and our exclusivity with him. That not only are we to have no other gods before him, but we're also to not make any idols. And so he uses this image all throughout the scripture to, to talk about the horror of our worshiping other things instead of him by putting that in a context that we can understand. Right? We, don't, we don't know what it's like to be the only one in living God and then to have others commit adul adultery. Right? That, that, that's not something that we experience. But, but whether we've experienced it or not, we all know what a terrible thing it is if the one that we love is, is unfaithful and, and loves somebody else. That, that's just awful. And so, again, God's given us a whole book about the beauty and wonder of marital sex. He's also given us a whole book, Hosea, to, to help us to better understand this relationship between idolatry and adultery. In Taking Gathered Worship Home, I've got you this week reading through, hopefully, the whole book of Hosea. So I've, I've broken it up, you know, to have you, have you read through it. Let me also just mention that in terms of the Taking Gathered Worship Home. Oftentimes, I'm trying to do multiple things in terms of the scriptures that I have you read on a given day. And sometimes those scriptures work together on a particular thing. But other times, like this whole series, I'm having you read through Psalm 119. Psalm, psalm 119 is a long psalm, right? It's, it's a, it's a um, poem that has, a ver has verses for each of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And the whole thing is on the commands, the law of God. And so in, in that, I'm wanting us to, to see how the psalmist delights in the law, the precepts, the commands of God. 
And, and so each week I've got you reading two of those 22 stanzas about the, the law of God. So anyway, back to what I was talking about here. God has given us in Hosea a picture, a, a graphic picture, a horrendous picture, in that he calls his prophet Hosea to go and marry a prostitute, a harlot, a whore, and to love her and to have children with her. And, and he says right from the beginning and all through that I'm having you do this so that Israel will see what they are doing to me, that, that my people play the role of the whore. And, and as you see this unfolding in Hosea, it's not the case where Hosea and his wife, you know, have, have some bumps in their marriage and she goes out and, and sleeps with some people. But the, the image is of her chasing after other suitors, chasing after other lovers, of, of giving herself to others under every tree in the area. I mean, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. But part of what that helps us to see is that our view of sin that's so tepid, right? Our, our view of sin, oh, I, I, oopsie, I did a boo-boo, right? Bad, don't do that. Okay, love Jesus more. That's an anemic view of sin. It will not lead to the righteous living that God has called us to. No, the, the word of God is a mirror held up to our dumpster fire of a life, revealing to us the horror of what we are engaged in in a rebellion against God. And Hosea, wow, really magnifies that. And, and we need to deal with it honestly. And, and if you're thinking, well, but pastor, I've, I've been faithful to my spouse, the, you know, for 50 years now. Stop. Listen to God's word. See that the only reason that you're faithful to your spouse is by God's grace. And and thank him for that constantly rather than using that as a way of puffing up your self-righteousness. Just go through the Westminster Larger Catechism and see all of what God requires in this and prohibits in this. And if you go through that list and go, well, nope, nope, haven't done, nope, nope, okay, I'm good. Fall on your knees and your face because you're not seeing yourself accurately. Some have, have what I've spoken before and used the term that the Bible uses of our whoredom, that, that we are the whores. Oh, that, that's too strong. It, it, you'll turn people off. Probably. Unless the Holy Spirit softens our hearts and helps us to see no, that, that really is accurate. Because, again, we don't just sin. We're compulsive sinners. 
We need the things that we want, that we crave, that we go after. We're like the scripture says, a dog returning to its vomit. Why? Have you ever found yourself right on the heels of sin? You've given in. You've done the very thing that you know God would not have you to do. Or he's, he's provided an opportunity for you to faithfully obey him. And you haven't even taken a swing. You've just stepped off the mound all to, out of the plate altogether. God has given us this gift and placed it within a specific context. Yes, for us to enjoy, but also for us to see that not only in this area, but in every area of life, we do not obey God as we should. And we desperately need Jesus. And that's the third point, that Christ has redeemed us out of our whoredom, out of our infidelity, out of our adulterous hearts. And so the difference that God intends for Christians versus non-Christians around us is not that we would be goody-two-shoes and not do anything wrong in this life because that, that's not going to happen on this life. That is the hope of our resurrected lives. The primary difference that the Lord is calling for us as his people is the difference of repentance. There's, there's none of this sin that is unforgivable. Jesus died for whores like you and me. And his blood is able to wash any stain away. Any sexual sin, any, any sin. And that's to give evidence in repentance. That, that we are to demonstrate that we have received the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ because of our delight in him and our willingness to confess our sin and to turn from it. I, I love the Sunday school hour, the, the missionaries describing their ministry and because we're, we're live streaming this, I won't get into the specifics of who they are or what they're doing, but the emphasis on the cross of Jesus. It, this whole text of Exodus chapter 20 is anticipating the cross of Jesus Christ. It's anticipating the need for a forgiveness that is everlasting and not just temporary. That's what we find in the book of Hebrews, right? Every year at, at the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in and, and another sacrifice and another sacrifice and another sacrifice because they've got the Ten Commandments. And, and it's not that the Jews were saved by their obedience to those commandments. We've already talked about that in the prologue. But as they're trying to live the Christian life, they didn't call it then, of course, the Christian life. They're trying to live the faithful Hebrew life. They're trying to follow their father Abraham in faithfulness. And like you and me, they kept stumbling 
and falling and struggling. And, and so the, the longing, the faith for and in a Messiah who would come and deliver them, that's, that's the characteristic of a faithful Hebrew. And likewise is the characteristic of a faithful Christian. Lord, I can't do this. You've given me the power of your Holy Spirit. Help me to apply that. And so again, the, the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, is not just, okay, you know, keep it zipped and, and you're okay. But how do I, how do I nurture? How do I encourage? How do I vivify, is what the old Puritans used to say to give life to the things of God and to put to death, to mortify the things of the flesh. I mean, that's so apt to adultery. It, it's not just that I want to, to keep my pants zipped. I want to not go to places and look at things that I shouldn't look at. I, I, don't, I, I need to have a covenant with my eyes to, to not linger over a, a, a woman walking by. Wherever I am. One of the, the things in campus ministry that was so difficult, to, particularly in today's world, and particularly in campuses that are in the South, where it's hot and many people have not many clothes on at all. Right? And, and so a constant thing that I would have to say like a thousand times a day, you know, you're, you're just trying to walk down the, the sidewalk, right? And it's like, oh! Oh, you know, there's, there's, I'll just look at my feet, right? And, and constantly saying, I've got better at home. I've got far better at home. That, that was a way, now, again, don't legalize that particular application, but it was a way that God was working in and through me to remind me of these gospel truths, that God does give this as a good gift. And, and at that time in my life, he, I already knew that, that he had given me that gift in my wife. And, and so it was a way of, of reminding myself of the gospel. That God is good. That God has dealt with our sin. That Jesus Christ came because I'm a whore. Because left to my own, I will not pursue godly sexuality, but I'll pursue me and what pleases me and what I want. And so to be able to say, no, that's, that's not the way that God has made me. It's not the reason that he's pursued me. Because Jesus Christ did exactly that. He pursued us. Do you, do you want to know the depths of your sin? Look at the cross. What, what happens on the cross? Does... does Jesus just say, oopsie, sorry. Father, forgive them. Okay. Now, what, what did Jesus have to do on the cross in order for us to be forgiven? He didn't go to timeout. He didn't just get lashed with a whip, although he was that. He was brutalized and murdered. Because... Sin requires death. It has always been that way. The, 
the deceiver continues to tell us, no, 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 it won't really kill you. Look at the cross. It killed Jesus, who became sin for us. Because he has died and risen from the dead, the Father has said, you're forgiven. All those who are in Christ are no longer whores. They're beloved sons and daughters. Made holy, perfect, wearing the righteousness of Christ. Now, you may be here thinking, but I've done a pretty good job with these Ten Commandments. And I, I think my chances are pretty good. I mean, God's a loving God. He'll, he'll give me credit, right? An A for effort. Don't you buy that lie. Yes, God is loving. God is good. And so we sent Jesus to the cross to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay. And he in his holy righteousness has said, to, in order to come to me, you've got to come through Christ. So don't wait another day. If you haven't already bowed your knee and confessed him as Lord and Savior, do it now. And if you've already done that, then as Paul says in the New Testament, why, if you've received from the Spirit, would you go back to the flesh and keep trying to gain God's approval? Do you want to keep God's commandment to not have adultery? To, to have the chastity and moral purity that we're supposed to have? Then trust in Christ. Follow his commands. Put sin to death and live in the power of the Holy Spirit by faith in Christ. This is what God demands. And he's got every right to demand it. This is what God requires. And we will find that in obeying him, we find joy and delight and life instead of the death that disobedience always brings. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for telling us what it means for your people to live as becomes children of the King. And so we pray that you would lead us, that you would make us far more faithful in our sexuality, far more able to enjoy the rich blessings that you have designed it for, far more able to delight in you, in waiting on you, in trusting in you. Lord, we pray.